0: You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIW Hello, welcome back to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball, and my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing Tesco, British Land Co., Imperial Brands, Square, we'll also be doing a book review of the ivy portfolio at the end. So John, do you want to kick us off with our first discussion?
1: So Tesco's, they've released the half-year results which have been very positive, a 28.7% rise in pre-tax profits to 551 million in the six months to the end of August with food sales rising 9.2% and as a result of covid There have been an increase in the large weekly shops with a 69% boost to online sales. And Tesco have been able to increase their delivery slots from 650,000 to 1.5 million. They've also announced that they're going to be increasing the dividend. So it's going to be over 4.5% at the current share price. There have been a few things that have suffered within the company such as the clothing sales, which have been down, and they've had a slight decrease in fuel. But overall, the picture has been very positive, considering the circumstances. And while operating profits did fall about 15%, that was largely down to the banking division. But in terms of the core business, it's been doing very well. And for example, the food, the like-for-like sales grew by about 7% uh, to 24 billion, with the food sales rising 9.2%. There has been a little bit of controversy about the increase in the dividend just because the company took some business rate reliefs uh, that were being offered by the government. But I think they possibly could be justified by the increased safety measures that all of the supermarkets have had to take. So it's a very positive start for the new chief executive, Ken Murphy, after taking the reins from Dave Lewis, who was responsible for the turnaround since the 2014 accounting scandal. So overall, very positive results from Tesco's. What's your take on it, Sam?
0: Yeah, I thought they were good, given the circumstances. So it looks like I noticed as well that they'd hired 16,000 new staff to comply with social distancing. So I think that that possibly does support your argument. I think, you know, although they've they have taken some rates relief, they have also taken on new staff as well. So I think I don't think it yeah. would then increase. It's not outrageous.
1: No, and it it is all related to the safe the safety side of it, which is what the government would want them to do, rather than trying to cut any corners.
0: Yeah, I noticed as well that the retail profits grew because of an increase in margins. So I suppose that's quite positive uh, that's very
1: positive and I think that's probably left over from Dave Lewis and he was cutting unprofitable lines and just focusing everything much more because it used to be the case that you could get everything in sort of a Tesco's extra which would be Tesco branded and some of them probably were, make, or quite a few of them were probably making a loss. They've sort of narrowed the range a bit. And that helps them compete with the discounters uh, like Aldi and Lidl, which do have much more narrow ranges. You couldn't get everything in an Aldi or a Lidl that you could get in a, at one of those large Tesco extra stores.
0: Yeah, so I did notice, so that their, their profits actually would have shrunk if it wasn't for the rates relief they received. That's interesting. And what 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 do you think the reason for that is? I I'd, I'd probably put it down to the increase in staff costs and also the increase in the online sales as a proportion of the total. Just because they yeah, are no, less profitable.
1: They are less profitable. I think one thing they're doing to address that is they're encouraging click and collect, which uh, okay. is somewhere in between that you could obviously order online and then they don't Tesco's don't have to do the delivery. You could still be COVID secure and sort of pick it up in your car in the car park rather than going the whole hog and having the tesco delivery van coming around so that's if they could promote that a bit more that might be sort of a compromise and be more profitable but yes Mm -hmm. i appreciate the the delivery while it sounds great that they've had such a big increase in it it doesn't necessarily translate directly into increased profits and they do have a huge market share i think it's over 25 percent of the uk food retail yeah. market
0: yeah 26.8 percent I don't know but it, I, I actually thought it'd be a bit higher until I saw that figure I don't know why it, it seems quite pretty respectable anyway but I sort of in my head I had a higher figure I don't know why yeah, yeah. I mean they, I suppose they they also do they have the
1: acquisition of Booker so they have some sort of traditional corner shops um chains that they acquired but yeah it, it it's really uh, I think that they, they are the biggest single player
0: Yeah, I saw actually that within those half-year results, Booker sales actually rose 11%, so three and a half billion.
1: Oh, well, that's that's certainly another positive for it. And it's that sort of integrated supply chain that they got as a result of that acquisition, which was very fortunate because obviously Sainsbury's and Asda didn't get their deal through. So I think Tesco's have done particularly well as a result of that.
0: So I noticed as well, they agreed the sale of their Thai and Malaysian business for 8.2 billion, which is expected to complete before the end of the year and then they've also agreed the sale of their polish business in june which they're expecting to complete in spring 21 okay okay so that's still yet to go through well they're all agreed but yeah well sorry those are ex- have not they're yeah. not completed yet i
1: mean under the not dave lewis but uh, his predecessor there was a huge you know there's the huge expansion overseas into america um with i think it was a fresh and easy which didn't work out. They sold this at a loss, but then it, they were able to focus again on the, their core domestic market. And I think probably selling over in the business over in Thailand and Central Europe is probably a sensible move.
0: No, I I, th- I think it makes sense. Just streamlining it, isn't it, really?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and what do you think of food retail as a whole? Is it I mean, a sector that you'd be
0: buying into? I mean, it's, it's not a sector that's massively interested me in the past. I think <laughs> Maybe I've I've probably got more respect for it now as a result of the lockdown, and we've seen just how essential it is. It's it's I mean it's not a particularly glamorous industry. But yeah. Like,
1: small margins.
0: Yeah, that's that's small margins, and it's it's very competitive. I think it's hard to have a clear competitive advantage. I guess with Tesco, you'd say it's their vertical integration, and also probably just their sheer size in the UK. Yeah. That being said, I've, Tesco does look now like a very well-run business and it's not something i would rule out adding to the portfolio in the now or in the near future so i did notice that the price to earnings is 13.3 compared to a 10-year average of 14.2 which i'm quite surprised by i'd expect it to be trading above average in the current environment just because like sustainable earnings like this are so much more valuable at the minute
1: yeah I suppose one of the the threats to the sector, which happened uh, earlier in the decade, was the sort of supermarket price wards and companies, the big four especially, being particularly badly hit. And if that returned, then you could see the margins depressed even more once again.
0: And it's, it's hard to say as well what's going to be happening with us during the near future now. I mean, we talked about the takeover last week.
1: There are threats, but overall it's looking in much better shape than it did five or six years ago, especially mm. after the accounting scandal. And I think Buffett's famously bought in after the horse meat and got burned and sold the shares pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, so I saw as well they're planning to open over 25 urban fulfilment centres in the next three years to improve efficiency. So Yeah, which again,
1: positive move there.
0: It seems to me like an indication as well that a lot of this switch to online stale- sales, they are, although it's been accelerated because of the pandemic, I think they are expecting it to possibly stay around current levels because otherwise... There wouldn't really be much need to do that. I think that's with the idea of making the online better.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I suppose the other side of it that was a bit of a drag was the Tesco's bank. And again, you'd wonder whether that's going to or they're going to sort of sell that or it's gonna, you know essentially dispose of it.
0: Yeah, I saw for the for the year they were expect they're expecting a loss of 175 to 200 million pounds.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think that supermarket should be having? divisions like banking or do you think that's sort of a relic of the past where they were sort of expanding to the extent that they were getting involved in all sorts of different businesses that they probably weren't experts in and that had were i suppose a risk of going wrong and dragging down their earnings
0: yeah i mean i i would prefer to see it without the bank i think i'd I'd, yeah i'd find it more attractive without it i think that's that's more to do with just how i see banking as a whole right now but i think if i wanted a bank i would buy a bank i wouldn't uh, you'd buy a bank yeah for me te- tesco looks like a very well-run business and if i was to buy it it would be in spite of the bank it wouldn't it wouldn't yep. be in contributing yep. factor uh, no
1: that's right and what do you think of it as an income play because it's now yielding over four and a
0: half percent and it's got yeah. you know respectable cover no I, I think it looks great i think if you do want I an mean, if you want some more income exposure i think it's it's probably one of the more sustainable large paying dividend stocks at the minute. I mean, it's, it's yeah, probably, yeah. it's probably not going to be a multi-bagger, <laughs> but I think, you know, for 4.5% four yield, it is respectable. And yeah, I, I think it's it is probably quite stable.
1: Yeah. 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 So a company that you buy, a company you consider?
0: I'd say I'm, I'm more interested in it, having looked at it for this than I was beforehand. It's something I probably wouldn't have considered before, but it, it's, I am impressed with it. I think it looks like a well-run business.
1: Yeah, no, no. In agreement. I mean, I'm someone who's had it from about 2013. So I was hit quite badly by the counseling scandal, but I've watched it fairly closely um, over the over the years. And it's yeah, like you say, it's, it's much better run now than it was seven or eight years ago.
0: Well, I remember the way you used to talk about it, even like four or five years ago. It was it was not with the same positivity. Right? <laughs> no. It was it was more like it was something where it was down. You used to say it was down, and you were holding it to teach you a lesson. Yeah, now, yeah, that's right. Whereas whereas now, I think I think it's it's genuinely you know it's a good business to own. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, no, it was in it was sitting in the portfolio, and it
1: was a it was a reminder, which it, and it, it, it's yeah, it, it's it's certainly helped me in terms of thinking about investments for sure okay so next on the list with news out this week was imperial brands
0: yes so imperial brands they have announced that they are expecting their full year revenue to be about flat it's actually going to rise one percent but i suppose that's all right what what's concerning i think is the next generation products are expected to be down about 30 percent mm. so Sam, just tell us a bit about what are next generation products so the idea is that you're still getting your, it's, it's products that allow you to get your tobacco intake without actually smoking. This is sort of electronic cigarettes. Yes, yeah, so, and a heat not burn technology, and uh, vaping and all that, I think. Uh, okay, I think yeah. They're all lumped in together, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I, I would imagine so. so it, it's sort of alternatives to
0: traditional smoking, but essentially nicotine products. Yeah, so it was it was hoped that whilst sales from cigarettes declined over the long term, that these next generation products would, would increase and give the tobacco companies a bit more of a future, really. There's been a lot of negativity recently around the vaping products with them blowing up and stuff. And I think that's that's had quite a big impact. Yeah. Probably. And, and,
1: and I suppose the, the other thing has been, especially in the US, sort of health concerns about vaping. Because I think initially... A lot of people, especially in sort of the the medical sphere, didn't know very much about it. And then since then, there has been the health concerns and the FDA over in the US has put a lot more regulation onto it. There's also the concern that younger people, it might be a gateway to smoking or that people who wouldn't have normally smoked then just take up these. And with different flavours. And I think Juul had been in the news quite a lot in the US that you'd have children taking up dueling or vaping and that being a problem so over in the us which was the big growth market for it the regulation that has come in has hit well all of the tobacco companies that have had these sort of what you're referring to as the next generation products so obviously that's been a a big problem presumably if the traditional tobacco companies are trying to move away from smoking to vaping and other alternatives
0: yeah i think it is i think realistically i think if you're buying a tobacco company it's with the view that you know profits and revenues are going to slowly decline over time and you just well you just or certainly sales are declining over time and you you, so far they've been able to increase prices enough to offset that but that's not something they're going to be able to do indefinitely so having a growing part of the business like like, next generation it, it it is expected to be a big part of the company's future i think
1: yeah, so that's obviously a concern to Imperial Brands, because I think it was the blue the blue brand that they bought a few years ago as their sort of electronic cigarette.
0: Yes, that's right. 30% is a big drop. Yeah, it's not it's not good at all. I don't think I mean, I mean, that, I, th- I think there were, there were concerns before that the growth was a bit sluggish anyway. But a decline like that is just you know, yeah. Because I think not... a, a
1: few years ago, if there was a sort of a hint at a decline in e-cigarettes, it so- somewhat boosted the share price of some of the tobacco companies on the basis that their more profitable products were traditional cigarettes. But that's not the case anymore. I suppose as you know, you see increasing demand for the traditional product, their most profitable, is declining. What is the future for them?
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. So they've announced that they've, as well, that they've got some additional costs due to the pandemic and they are expecting earnings per share to fall by about 6% year on year, which is, you know, it's, it's still, it's pretty solid, I think, given what a lot of other companies are doing. Um, it's just that 30% drop in next generation, which didn't make a, up a huge proportion yeah. anyway, but yeah, that was where a lot of the growth was expected yeah. to come from in the future.
1: And I think quite a lot of the sales that were ha- would happen with the conventional cigarettes you know, airports were, you know, the duty free were a big part of that. And obviously, with far fewer people going on holiday and going through the airports, they're not going to be selling to those customers anymore.
0: Yes, that's right. So they actually recently cut their dividend by a third as well to focus on debt reduction. Um, yeah. So Imperial Brands is currently carrying three times net debt to underlying cash profits. And they've, they've recently sold their premium cigar business to try and pay down some of the debt.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you say that they cut the dividend, but the yield is still over ten percent, which must be in the UK market probably one of the highest, if not the highest.
0: Yeah, it's certainly one of the highest sustainable ones as well. So yes, yeah, it's actually trading at a forward price to earnings ratio at five point three as well, which I think is ridiculous. It's uh, incredibly cheap. Even the ten. 10- I mean, to- tobacco is an industry where it does. It does trade at a lower multiple than other stocks because a lot of uh, institutional investors, they just will not touch it for ethical yeah. reasons. Yeah, um, and I
1: suppose on that point, they've uh, institutional investors have been selling off for a number of years now. Yes. So quite apart from how the business is doing, it has depressed the share price because I suppose ultimately, if you go back to sort of the individual investor, they might be more averse for ethical reasons and the harm that tobacco does to buying into a fund or a pension whatever it might be that has tobacco oil alcoholic or uh, brewers i should say in the in that portfolio
0: yes that's right but i just think i mean 5.3 even that's that's a lot lower than the 10-year average so it's actually traded at a 10-year average of 11 for the forward price to earnings ratio yeah and like you say the the yields are 10 percent at the minute even after being slashed by a third just
1: on the sort of valuation basis you wonder whether it's going to be because uh sort of a takeover target essentially
0: It could be. So it is, of the big four tobacco brands, it is actually the smallest. So it it would be the one that could get taken over. I I certainly wouldn't buy it expecting a takeover, but it's, you know, it's not an unrealistic possibility. No, and I
1: suppose if the pound weakens, whether you see it becoming even more attractive, because there's Japan Tobacco, which is a bigger player, and whether that would come in and take
0: it, I should add that I actually own this stock, but I think it's so cheap. I think with a forward price to earnings ratio, if you looked at it on an earnings basis, revenue and earnings are going to slowly decline over time, probably. Mm-hmm. But let's from an earnings point of view, you're probably going to have made your full investment back within six years. Do yeah, you think it's going to be gone in six years? Or it, I think it'll probably still be yeah. here in pretty much I mean, a very similar size. You know, and you're collecting a lot of those earnings are being distributed as dividends as well. So within, if you carry yeah. on getting a 10% yield a year for those six years, I I think it's a very, very attractive income play if you don't have, if you're not concerned about the ethics.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the big thing I think because obviously people know tobacco is harmful are they happy to own a tobacco stock or not? And I guess that c- contributes to the depressed share price, whether it's through yeah. individuals, but probably more institutional investors. Yeah, th- that, I, think I mean, it's just, I just, suppose.
0: it's just a personal decision, really.
1: And in terms of the share price, obviously it's declined a lot. It's, I think, year to date, it's at least 50%. But what do you think the company is going to do about the share price decline? Do you think it's going to start buying back shares rather than paying all out or? mostly out in dividends
0: i think they're probably going to carry on going down the route of debt debt reduction and i think yeah you know if it's carrying less debt it's it's probably they're probably hoping that'll impact the multiple as well but okay i, don't, I mean a lot of it is just sentiment as well because yeah you know, i mean i mean just after the it was seen as quite a safe stock wasn't it just after the, the brexit vote as well and
1: yeah that's so, right
0: i mean it's, it's down yeah. it's down a lot it's down like two-thirds in the last three or four years
1: and how much have the fundamentals changed you would argue not as much as the share price has
0: it can always get cheaper but i think i think it's very very attractive at the current prices
1: yeah i suppose some of these tobacco companies have also moved into cannabis or the cannabis market over in the us but i think they my understanding is they have very small
0: stakes in that yeah, as a potential growth area. Yeah, I think that's something where it's just too soon to tell as well. Too like, soon, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we don't seem to be, certainly under the cov- current government, I don't think we'll be legalising cannabis anytime soon.
1: No, 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 that's right. And of course, I mean, this is sort of old news from the tobacco companies, but, you know, we've had plain packaging for a number of years. I think it was the last change, maybe in the David Cameron, David Cameron years. So obviously they distinguishing between any brands is pretty impossible now because they're all sort of a murky green color anyway that
0: favors the larger brands doesn't it because if, if me and you wanted to start a cigarette company now we can't advertise we can't differentiate ourselves in terms of the product so, you know if you've got a good market share you're probably gonna you're gonna keep it
1: okay i, I see I, I see what you're saying i i suppose where it um falls down a bit is that in terms of counterfeit products coming onto the market it's it would be very difficult to tell between the two because you don't have any significant branding or differentiation uh, differentiation between the packets.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess that's the flip side.
1: But we're certainly not advocating or starting a tobacco company, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Your summary of it is that you think it's a very good value play at present. I think so. Yes. Aside um... from the the ethical concerns, yeah.
0: Yeah, if you forget about the, I mean, you you would need to take into account the fact that the ethical cer- concerns mean it's it's probably it's never going to trade at the premium that some shares do. But I think it's it's very yeah. Ridiculous. So say
1: it, say it were uh, yeah say it were a, another in another sector with those numbers. You think exactly be tra- yeah. trading at yeah.
0: a much yeah yeah. 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 I, I yeah. think if you if you look at it in terms of just just maths, really, how how long do I expect this business to be around for? Revenues and profits will probably be declining slightly over that period. How long does it need to survive for me to get my money back? I think you end up with a yeah. very. I think you end up with about six years or something. Which I certainly see them surviving six years.
1: Six years. Okay. Right. So on to the next next stock that's been in the news: British Land. So the news from British Land is that they've been reinstating a dividend which they had suspended earlier this year. So they're going to be paying the dividend from November, and they've change the dividend policy a bit so now it's going to be 80% of underlying earnings per share paid twice a year and rather than having a set number that they that they have to achieve which has given them a bit more flexibility and the news the other news with it has been positive and from the June rents they've collect, they've managed to collect 74% with 98% of um, offices and then slightly less 57% from a retail point of view and then again going on later and the most recent collections from September it has fallen a bit but perhaps not as much as some expected so down to 69% for September rents and again 91% from the offices and then less from the retail only 50%.
0: I think that With those September figures being lower as well, I think they're collecting a lot later on. So in two or three months, those September numbers will probably be higher. And I think they'll be above the 74% for June. So I think you've probably got quite a few tenants that are behind and they're just paying it when they can.
1: They're paying it when they can. I suppose the market has been worried about much, much worse figures from June and September. So it's somewhat reassuring. But I mean, the big threats are e-commerce and that's obviously been accelerated by coronavirus and then the trend towards remote working and i think of those office desks only about 20 percent um are are being used at present
0: did you see the the london offices are just 18 percent full yeah
1: it's it's not good reading and i suppose it, it all hinges on what you think is going to happen going forward with coronavirus and whether these trends are permanent or whether they're going to re- reverse after a point at which coronavirus is no longer the issue that it currently is uh, what do you think on that sam
0: yeah i mean like you said it's it's probably not as bad as it could have been, but it's it's still not great. I mean, so occupancy was quite encouraging, and for the retail and the offices, the occupancy overall was ninety five percent. There is a disparity between the occupants and the payments. So yeah, I think the problem is if you're occupying it and you're struggling at the minute, you do have you've got them by the balls really because they're not going to be able to fill it if you leave.
1: Yes, that that that's right. And I mean, the messages coming out from government quite apart from how the businesses are doing themselves, whether you should be working from home or not. And I think the latest from uh, Boris has been that if you can work from home, do. So that's not good from the office side of the business.
0: I'm actually a shareholder of British Land. And it's it's probably the stock I'm least confident about that I own. And certainly for the long term. Historically, in terms of its price to book,
1: it's 10 year average has been about 0.8 and it's now less than 0.5 I think it's 0.49 so it is trading cheaper but I guess that is purely reflecting these these sorts of numbers and this potential change in behavior
0: i wasn't holding it going into the pandemic i only bought it after the big drop in share price
1: oh okay i hadn't i hadn't appreciated that
0: yeah so i i've I've only held it for a couple of months now so i'm actually i think i'm actually up slightly um yeah which if you look at the share price most people aren't but it's it's i wouldn't i don't see myself holding this in five years it's something where it's, it's very very cheap on a price to book and i think that's because people are expecting the value of the assets are going to be impaired significantly yeah I, yeah I suspect the impairment is not going to be as severe as people think so I'm hoping it will recover based on that and based on stuff like the rent's actually being collected a bit better than expected but this is something where if, if it if the numbers pick up like I'm hoping they will or the value increases on a price to book level, I'm probably not going to be holding this in a couple of years, I don't think. A couple of years, yeah, yeah. It was just a pure value play, and I just think it was yeah. so cheap.
1: The, the huge uncertainty around all of those issues, offices and shopping centres, we just don't know. And even prior to going into lockdown and uh, the sort of outbreak of COVID, the shopping centres were already in decline and retail as a whole, or traditional retail, I should say, rather than e-commerce. So even more uncertainty now that there's that been that push towards e-commerce which coronavirus has inevitably accelerated
0: certainly for the REITs such as British Landco, where they do have a high amount of retail exposure I think the long-term future it's 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 uncertain is probably the word I'd use to describe it because I think with a lot of the retail outlets you know people you know businesses you've got the death of the high street and businesses going bust and stuff and you do think they can maybe repurpose some of these, so there will be some use for them. But it's, yeah, it's very unclear what the outcomes going. More of an
1: experience high street, yeah, with yeah, exactly. the restaurants, not, cafes. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's it's not like you know you've got you're, you're letting out one of your high street outlets and someone goes bust and someone someone's immediately going to want to move in and you're not going to have to change the layout of the shop or anything. I think a lot of them they will be getting repurposed
1: yeah yeah and at the moment with them reinstating the dividend it's a prospective yield of about four and four point eight percent so it's pretty chunky That how sustainable that is going forward it's, it's anyone's guess
0: if it's the 80 percent of the earnings it's they don't need to worry about that i
1: suppose what i was getting at was the yield at the current share price and what would be paid out would be pretty chunky if you bought
0: it now but going forward is yeah. anyone's guess what it would I mean, be if, if we get a second lockdown or something i mean yeah yeah those that 80 percent is not going to come it might be stay at a and 4.8 percent yield but it's only if the share price falls i guess
1: that's right and it also uh, with these local lockdowns depends on sort of geographical locations of them which could also whether if there was a, another lockdown in london for example that would hit british land particularly hard
0: mm. is this a stock you'd be interested in
1: uh no not 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 now not with the uncertainty
0: no would you have had would you have been interested pre-pandemic
1: probably not i think that sort of change in retail habits and the shift to e-commerce would have put me off to be honest
0: no i i, I despite owning the shares myself i tend to agree i think yeah it's just so difficult to say where the business is going to be in five or ten years really
1: yeah that's I mean, right it, it could
0: weather the storm it could come out fine it could repurpose a lot of the the retail side but
1: you could buy the shares and do very well if mm. it all, all goes well and things return back to the sort of pre-covid office work and the retail That yeah they repurpose it and have more of the experience-based high street which would be a positive for british land rather than sort of the, the decline that's been going on more recently
0: but there's no there's no guarantee that'll work there's no guarantee that I mean, I I guess if you were in a popular high street, the rental yield you could get was probably a lot higher than if you've had to repurpose it and you just, you know. Yeah, that's dynamic. That dynamics changed, I think. Yeah, I I completely agree. Yeah, it's just not as attractive as it was two or three years ago, I don't think.
1: No, no. All right, so next on the list.
0: Yes, so next on the list, we have Square. Do you know much about Square, John? Very little. It's a US stock. Yes, so it is a US stock that... It combines software and hardware to enable sellers to turn mobile devices and computing devices into payments and point of sale solutions so basically what that means is it, it helps businesses sell stuff so you might have seen the adverts for the little square payment systems where you get this little box thing and
1: I think I once went on a guided tour of Copenhagen and my tour guide popped out his mobile phone and did have something that plugged in I think it might have been a square actually and we were able to donate for the tour through his mobile phone which i was quite impressed with that was a few years ago now
0: yeah so it's it's very popular among small businesses they are a us company so they're a lot bigger in the us but they do have a presence in the uk so as well once once they get these small businesses onto their systems they then have other features that you can try and tell such as reporting analytics next day settlements digital receipts payment dispute management chargeback protection and payment card industry compliance and then in the US, I don't think it's come to the UK yet, but they've also got on the buyer side, they've got a cash app. So it's kind of like a bit of a PayPal where you can buy and send money quite easily between your friends. But it also allows you to buy and sell Bitcoin. and send oh, really, yeah. your friends. Yeah, so that's that's been one of the more interesting sides of the business in recent years. So the founder and current CEO, it's actually Jack Dorsey. So he's the same guy that's CEO of Twitter. Oh, wow. So oh, okay, he's- so he's got... He's CEO of both of them. Yeah. So I think he does two days at Square, three days at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Busy week. Yeah. I mean, we've not started talking about the, the news yet. But yeah, it's, it's interesting as well with that because a lot, if you look at the Twitter performance over the last few years, it's not entirely his fault because it went public and it did very badly. And then he came back in as a bit of a turnaround. Mm. And since then, it's, it has done quite well. But I think probably there are quite a lot of Square shareholders that would probably prefer him to see him just managing square i think there's possibly quite a few mm-hmm. twitter ones that would agree to
1: and year to date how's the
0: how's square done into oh. just purely share price performance it's done very well so it looks like it started the year at about 60 dollars a share and it's now 187 dollars a share oh wow so very I mean, decent return there oh it's, it's it's on a share from a shareholder yeah shareholder I mean, point of view it's basically been the the opposite of Twitter really interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it over, so it went public in twentieth November twenty fifteen at $12. 85 a share. Yeah, yeah. Now it's at one hundred eighty seven dollars a share. Wow. So market cap of eighty three billion, and looks like the price to earnings, according to Google, is four hundred and fifteen. Wow. So very cheap. <laughs> Very okay, yeah, uh, nearly as cheap as uh, imperial brands. Exactly. So it's it's interesting though because it's it's it, you've got this payment side which is growing massively, and the idea yeah. is it's then it's then going to be able to scale and hopefully get to the profitability of a company that's sort of like your Visa, your Mastercard, your PayPal. You've then got this the cash app side of it and the idea is i think that they're going to turn more into more of a bank i think they might have a banking Mm. license now they've got a banking license as well as of march so okay
1: so again definite room for expansion there
0: yeah although with an 83 billion market cap i guess you'd say how much of that is priced (laughs) in even if you even if you look at the size of the biggest banks i guess the idea is that you know if you look at a paypal or visa they are actually i um, sorry, MasterCard or Visa, they are valued at higher than most banks. So I guess it wouldn't really be the banking side that you're expecting the growth to come from. It's no, a, that, that's true. Side. It's a very interesting business. So it's, I actually had it on the watch list and was watching it around March when it dropped to a low of about $38 a share. So it's been about yeah. a, a four or five bagger since then. And I just, it's I never pulled the trigger. I was hoping it'd drop a bit more.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: no. That's life. Um, no, so and you
1: can' yeah, you can't watch from the sidelines.
0: Exactly. Um, so anyway, they've they've recently been in the news because they have made a fifty million dollar investment in Bitcoin. Okay. And when you say investment, they've just bought Bitcoin? Yeah, so they'll have held bitcoins anyway for the cash app so people can buy and sell them, but they've purchased four thousand seven hundred and nine bitcoins a uh, total price of fifty million dollars, which they are just going to hold on the balance sheet wow yeah so it's it's in, in this 50 million it represents 0.6 percent of total assets or 1.8 percent of cash and short-term investments so it's not huge mm. although in, in dollar amounts it, it does sound large it sound,
1: sounds large
0: yeah yeah um, in terms of the size of the business it's not mm. actually it's, mm. it's i'd say it's more like they're dipping their toe in the water just, yeah 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 but they've said that they believe that cryptocurrency as an instrument of economic empowerment and provides a way for the world to participate in a global monetary system which aligns with the company's purpose. Jack Dorsey is actually a massive Bitcoin bull. I think he's got Bitcoin in his bio on Twitter. Does he? (laughs) So in terms of competitors, how many competitors does Square have? um well it's probably got quite a lot really although it's financial services it's in a lot of different parts of that industry so i guess its competitors would be traditional banks it would be payment providers such as paypal visa mastercard Probably cryptocurrency exchanges, so your Coinbase's, your Gemini's. I don't know if they've already done it, but if they got into buying and selling shares, allowing you to do that, which it seems like quite a logical extension, you'd then have like mm. your Robinhood's, your JP Morgan's, your stuff like that. So a lot, a lot of competitors, because they just, if, if it's financial, they seem to be interested in it.
1: Yeah. And how do you see it going forward? Are you bullish on it?
0: I think they will. So as the com- in terms of the company, I do really like it. I've got a few question marks over valuation, but I-, I like the business. I like I like what it's doing, and I'll, s- I'll certainly be interested to follow it. I don't think I'll be buying it at the current prices because I think a lot of the growth is priced in, but I, I do like what mm. the company's doing. It's interesting as well because they do have a lot of prior history with Bitcoin. They launched Bitcoin trading in 2018 on the Cash App. In 2019, they formed Square Crypto, which was an independent team solely focused on contributing to Bitcoin open source work for the benefit of all. And they also recently launched the, the Cryptocurrency Open Patent Alliance, a non-profit organization encouraging crypto innovation and opening access to patented crypto inventions.
1: Right. I, I, I can't, can't say confidently that I understand that, but it sounds like a potential growth area.
0: I mean, if it's 50 million, even if the Bitcoin price 10x, it's still only half a billion, which for an $83 billion company, it's, it's not even really going to move the needle. no Um, no no. but i think that's them dipping their toe in the water it wouldn't surprise me if they bought more in the future how do you rate jack dorsey as a businessman it depends whether you're talking about twitter's jack dorsey or squares i guess Uh, okay i think i think if you look at the value of twitter as a platform and the way they've monetized it i think really quite poor if i was a shareholder i'd be very disappointed i think if you look at what he's done with uh, square i think he's been a lot more of a visionary with it really i think he's done a fantastic job with square if I was a Square shareholder, I'd certainly be wanting him to come and work at Square full time rather than splitting his time between Square and Twitter.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what's the market cap of Twitter now?
0: It's thirty-six billion.
1: Okay, so Square is by far the bigger company.
0: Yeah, and the growth is, you know, it's Square is growing quickly, whereas Twitter it's it's not growing very quickly at all. It's just they're still trying to figure out how to monetize it properly as well. It's just Yeah. I think it's a bit of a mess, really, certainly if you compare it to like a, a Facebook.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: I know that's probably an unfair comparison if you compare Facebook to any other social media company. But yeah, yeah it's, I'd, oh. I'd, be, I'd be very disappointed if I was a Twitter shareholder. <laughs> <Okay. But it's, laughs> All it's, right. I think it's interesting as well, though, with Square doing that, because I think over the next few years, I think we'll see more and more companies take larger positions with Bitcoin and holding it on the balance sheet.
1: Yeah. yeah. Do you hold bitcoin yourself Sam?
0: I do. Yeah, about 10% of my portfolio is in bitcoin.
1: bitcoin. Okay. I, and how's that performed?
0: It's performed very For you, well. yeah. it's performed well, yeah. It's I've I've also held other altcoins, other cryptocurrencies okay. during my time which have not performed as well. Or they did perform very well initially and then So I think I think I mentioned it in the first episode where we introduced ourselves, but I bought a fair bit of cryptocurrency just in 2017 before the big run-up so I okay it all the way up and then all the way back down but <laughs> yeah. in, in, like i said at the time in hindsight i should have just bought bitcoin but Yeah, I think as an inflation hedge, we'll see a lot more companies buying Bitcoin and holding it on the balance sheet. And I think portfolios should have a small allocation to Bitcoin just because it's a completely different asset class, in my opinion. And I think it's got a very low correlation, or is possibly uncorrelated, to the other assets. Which is that is how you achieve high returns with low volatility. So although the, the Bitcoin itself is very highly volatile, it's not moving. With stocks and shares as much
1: and for our listeners how would you hold bitcoin
0: Uh, we could do a whole episode on that but okay okay maybe we will you can buy it through an exchange if you're going to i'd probably say coinbase is the simplest that's how you get it and then Mm. in terms of holding it you can then transfer it on off the exchange there's various different types of wallets you can have Okay. You can have paper wallets where it's you're actually writing down the code. You can have the little hardware wallets where you plug it in like a USB. You yeah. can have wallets where it like sits on your computer, which are probably less secure. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll not go into that now.
1: Okay, okay. What do you just briefly, there are some Bitcoin
0: ETFs. What do you think of those? I've never looked at them properly. My view is that if you want to own Bitcoin because it is so easy to own the actual underlying asset, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. I suspect you'd probably have to pay a premium to own it in an ETF. And then if the ETF gets hacked, you get hacked as well. You know, it's not like buying commodities where it's very difficult to get your hands on physical gold. Yeah, just get the actual Bitcoin, I'd probably say. Okay, fine. Of the four stocks, that we've discussed today tesco british Landco, imperial brands and square if you had to buy one which one would you buy that's a difficult question
1: out of those i'd probably top up on tesco's
0: i would probably go with tesco as well actually yeah yeah despite owning british Land Co. <laughs> <laughs> and imperial brands <laughs> Right, yeah i'd, I'd probably go for, okay i'd go for tesco i think so yeah moving on the final thing we wanted to do was a book review of the Ivy Portfolio by Faber and Richardson. This is a book that looks at the Yale and the Harvard endowments in America. They're basically run by professional investors. Right. With the idea being that they can achieve returns and then that could be used for the university. So the Yale endowment between 1985 and 2008, that returned 16.62% a year. Compared- yeah, it's ridiculous. Compared to 11.98% for the S&P. And they've managed to do that whilst having 33% less volatility than the S&P. So Harvard also returned over 15% a year with volatility of under 10% a year.
1: Gosh, so again, very impressive, not quite um, on the scale of Yale, but how have they both
0: gone about that then? So the way they are able to overperform with lower volatility at the same time is because they've got more real assets and more alternative assets. So the real assets are defined as real estate, timber, and commodities. The alternative assets are hedge funds, private equity, and venture capital. So it's quite similar to the Andrew Craig that we were talking about last week, where yeah. they're basically trying to include different asset classes with low correlation in the portfolio. So mm-hmm. the idea is if you get if you have three different asset classes that say return on average 10% a year, but they're uncorrelated, you'll probably mm-hmm. get close to that 10% a year it'll be a much smoother ride so whereas you know if you were just in equities you could be you could be up 20% one year down 15% the next you know up 25% the year after that yeah if you've got this portfolio that's got different types of asset classes in then although you'd have the equities doing that you know In a period where the equities were down big, the the commodities might be down a lower amount or the -hmm. the bonds might be up. And the idea is you you can hopefully achieve the market beating returns, but with a lower level of volatility. They did it every 10 years, but the Yale portfolio in 2007, the makeup of it was 26% stocks, 4% bonds, 14% real estate, 14% commodities, Mm -hmm. 19% private equity, 23% 23% hedge funds, and then no cash or anything else. Wow. So I, I thought that was very interesting for a number of reasons. Firstly, that the stocks were so low at 26%. Yes. Um, yeah. And then also, I guess that the other assets were so high. Um, so the commodities, the private equity, and the hedge funds. The book looks at how they've managed to do this. And then it also looks at how you could potentially replicate that yourself as an individual investor.
1: Yeah. So should we talk a bit more about that then?
0: Yes. So they say they acknowledge in the book that some of these things are hard for individual investors to actually invest in. So, for example, like as an individual investor, you're just not going to be able to invest in private equity. Or if there was a a listed private equity company, it's not going to be the one you'd want to invest in possibly. So they suggest a different allocation. And the allocation they suggest is 20% domestic stocks, 20% Mm -hmm. foreign stocks, 20% bonds, 20% real estate and 20% commodities. They then compared this allocation from 1985 to 2008. If you had this allocation and you rebalanced yearly, you would have returned 11.97%, which is lower than the the over 15% by Harvard and Yale. Mm. But it still beats the 11.4% that you would have got with the S&P. So you're beating it by half a percent a year. And that's obviously, that's comparing to the S&P 500. Which Which is is probably the
1: biggest growth market that we have had over that period.
0: Yes, it it, it probably was. And your volatility would have been 8.85% a year, which interesting is actually lower than the the volatility that the Harvard and Yale portfolios had. They had 9.75% a year. (laughs) And the S&P had volatility of 11.4%. So it's significantly lower than that. I thought it was extremely interesting. Uh, Is that
1: something, have you taken a lot from that book? and what you might apply to your own portfolio?
0: I think, well, there were some very interesting ideas. I agreed with a lot of the ideas. There's certainly some things I'll be looking at. The issue I have is certainly being a younger investor, I think my portfolio is of a size, and I'm of an age where I don't necessarily need to think about allocating it in that same way.
1: You'd be happy sticking with uh, a larger equity allocation. I
0: think so, yeah, because I can ride out the volatility, but I think it's something where as sure. I get older and as my portfolio hopefully gets bigger, <laughs> yes. um, I will certainly be thinking about adding more, particularly commodities. I'll definitely want to increase my yeah. exposure to that over time. Real estate, thats that was an interesting one because what they talked about was if you buy, if you buy real estate through real estate investment trusts, which are traded on the stock market, yeah. The problem you've got is that they are actually quite highly correlated to the domestic stocks. So you're not mm-hmm. necessarily going to get that same benefit as if you bought real estate privately. So again, with the yeah. real estate, it's something where at, at, at my stage in life and portfolio sites, I'm not able <laughs> yes, to go yeah. and, and buy like yeah. a buy-to-let or something. But again, in the future, I think if my portfolio was a good enough size and I wanted more diversity, I probably would be more interested in a buy-to-let than I would have been before reading this. Okay, okay. In the current environment, if that were to continue, I don't think I would be interested in bonds. I wouldn't go for that 2020 anyway. I would probably include a, a very small allocation to Bitcoin as well, which is, I think, another asset class. When this book was written, Bitcoin didn't actually exist. I think it was written about 2008. I think okay, it's very really low proportion. Again, it goes back to what I said, where it's, it's an un, hopefully an uncorrelated or very lowly correlated asset that will, again, hopefully still achieve high returns over a long time frame
1: of course yeah yeah
0: what are your views on that then
1: no i think i mean it, it makes perfect sense and like you say there are things that halved and yale with the size of their portfolios can do with a sort of private equity potentially the real estate which individual investors it would be much more difficult to do but yeah in terms of reducing the volatility it's um Certainly, it would be worth looking at the ideas there and potentially trying it with your own portfolio. I mean, I'd be similar to you in that much younger and you're able to ride out any volatility. So, it's the volatility isn't something at my stage that I'd be especially concerned about, but yeah with respect to real estate, I'm considering that more. And I've read a book by Rob Dix recently, who's a UK property investor. And I have become more interested in having property or real estate than I had been previously. So yeah, again, interesting book and ideas that I would take from it and potentially try to implement over time in my own portfolio.
0: Yeah, I think the one that I would probably be more interested in buying now, or not now, but I think the one I'd be buying soonest. So in terms of the domestic and foreign stocks, I'm fine there. I think it's commodities that I'd probably be looking at the soonest.
1: Yeah, Uh, it's something that I'm doing at the moment or have started recently in my own portfolio. It's via an ETF, but uh, essentially buying the Bloomberg Commodities Index more as sort of a hedge against uh, inflation with the quantitative easing that's going on in the UK, I think is something that uh, people should consider.
0: I I completely agree. So the ticker for that is CMOP, isn't it? Um, yeah that's
1: right i think it's a, it's
0: an investgo you know, product i've now ordered the book i talked about last week called hot commodities so I'd, i'm going to read that but i so from what i've read so far about commodities which has only been a couple of books really now that have talked about them as part of the portfolio i've been surprised by the level of returns that it's been possible to achieve with commodities even though they've been lower than stocks over most time frames yeah you, know, you, you think of them as this inflation hedge but actually they, they can do and historically they have done actually slightly better than that okay so Oh well, that's... you have actually like i think over those time frames like you can actually achieve real returns not just okay. returns that match inflation so it's definitely something i'd be interested in the other thing that i was interested in was both of them had very large investments in timber yeah again due to the size of their portfolios they were able to actually do this themselves um, uh,
1: uh, physically owned timber
0: yeah but there was there was an interesting yeah <laughs> the ticker symbol is t-r-e-e which i've now added to my watch list okay and, so it's, it's, it looks like a very difficult company to analyze because you're yeah, <laughs> okay. so lumpy like there's lots of motors <laughs> they're just growing the trees but yeah, yeah I, think, I think it said i think it said timber it's actually the performance over the long term it's actually outperformed the stock market um, really? yeah mm-hmm. but the problem is it's so lumpy and your your investment's just tied up in trees for years so most <laughs> investors just don't do it whereas because yeah. these these uh, endowments have got such long time frames they can they can literally just wait for the trees to grow yeah um, <laughs> i I'd, I'd possibly the money trees yeah exactly yeah there is a magic money tree there's um, a magic money tree <laughs> but yeah I'd, I'd be possibly interested in adding that in I, w- I wouldn't say the near future, but certainly the nearer future than I'd be at yeah. real estate. Probably. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And you've got um, the time to,
0: in your life, you've got long enough left to let the trees so. grow. You, can, yeah. um, Okay. You know, I, I, thought, I thought it was a really, really good book. I'd give it an eight out of 10. I'd I give it an eight out of 10. I, thought, okay. I, I preferred it to the Andrew Craig book. I thought. The Andrew Craig, yeah. I, re- yeah. I, re- I, re- I thought it was a really interesting read.
1: Yeah, no, and it, it's not something I've seen other people cover. I mean, not obviously not Harvard and Yale, but just that sort of principle and those, well, alter, I don't know whether you call them alternative investments or certainly allocations.
0: Yeah, I, I just really like the way it was structured as well. It was like, look, here's what these have done. Here's how they've done it. Here's how you can try and replicate yourself. Here's what your returns would have been over X 30-year time period. Yeah. I just thought the whole book, it was very well written. It was very well structured. And I thought it was quite easy to follow as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, that's the Ivy portfolio for anyone that's interested.
1: Brilliant. Okay, well, any more news or should we call it for this episode?
0: I think I've covered everything I wanted to cover.
1: Yeah, I think we've covered the companies in the news this week. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening and we'll see you next week.
0: See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.